This morning, if you will permit me, we'll start first with our subject in the natural, and then we'll get over to the spiritual. But today, we are going to talk about labels. Labels are things that all of us can understand. We are familiar with labels. We see them and use them every single day. A label might be something as simple as a sticker or a message on a box. Fragile. Handle with care. This side up. Sometimes those labels are ignored by UPS and FedEx because sometimes it says fragile and you get the box and it's crushed. Sometimes it says this side up and you get the box and it's upside down. And whenever you open it, you realize they even packed it upside down. So, but you're familiar with what the label is supposed to mean. Sometimes a package might be labeled, do not open until Christmas or birthday or Valentine's Day, which is just in a couple of weeks. So I know the ladies all know that, but guys, Valentine's Day is soon. So just that's public service announcement. That's free. There may be a sign on a door that says men's restroom, employees only, Ella's room, or privacy, please. Those are labels that give us some concept of what's behind that door or what we should do, as in do not enter, if it says privacy, please. But it's a label. It can also be a word that's applied to give meaning or context such as the Christmas tree is pretty and we know that that's different than a Christmas tree that is bare. These cookies are soft and we have a different expectation than if somebody said you can play hockey with these cookies. You know, we understand there is a label and it has meaning. We can say this coffee is strong which I like whenever I can say that because you know, my, I like coffee, and if you can see through the coffee, that's not coffee. That's called tea. If it's brown and you can see through it, that's tea. If it's coffee, you can put a brick in it and it floats. That's coffee. But labels, as a definition, label from the Oxford English Dictionary as a noun means a small piece of paper fabric, plastic, or similar, similar material attached to an object to give information about it. Or a classifying phrase or name applied to a person or thing, especially one that is inaccurate or restrictive. So we label someone usually that is an inaccurate or restrictive type of a label. As a verb from the Oxford English Dictionary, it means to assign a category, especially inaccurately or restrictively. So the word label is both a noun and a verb. Keith's definition, I don't have my own dictionary, but I've got my own definition. A label is a thing you attach to another thing to tell you more about that second thing. That's what a label is. But... Labels are not always just on items. For instance, if we said he's a preacher, that gives 
a certain set of expectations and context to an individual. The way the label is used and the situation it's used in can also alter our perception. So for instance, if I say, he's a preacher, we nod, yes, that fits our expectations, we know him, that's our pastor, he's a preacher, yes, that, that, is, that is absolutely true. If somebody says, he's a preacher, we say, yeah, yeah, he's a preacher. But what about this one? He's a preacher. That is a man in a Superman costume with a cape and a fanny pack and gloves. If I say he's a preacher, you have a different set of expectations because the label does not fit with your idea of preacher. Now, actually, in truth, this man, his name is Andra Brian Stefanoni, and he is actually a street preacher up in the Midwest and the Northeast. He used to just preach on the street, just in plain clothes, and he's, been, he's had stuff thrown at him. He's been arrested for loitering and for disturbing the peace because the police would tell him to move on, and he just kept talking about the name of Jesus, and they ended up arresting him. And then he got this idea. He said one day he was praying, and he got this idea. Everybody loves Superman. So he found a Superman costume, and, and if you could see the, the picture up close, it has an S, but instead of Superman, it says Jesus across it. And he said, everybody loves Superman. He said, so now people take pictures with me, and I get to tell them about Jesus. He said, I hadn't been arrested since I got the Superman costume. But he stands on the street and preaches. But initially, whenever I said, he's a preacher, your first reaction was, oh, really? Or what? Or <laughs> no. Because a label comes with expectations. So what's the point of that comparison? The labels that we place on things set our expectations of what those things are or will be. See, labels are in one sense very restrictive. An object may have an infinite number of possibilities of what it could be until a label is placed on it. The realm of possibilities are then restricted to a very de narrow definition of expectations for that label. We expect the object to match what we think that label means. And here's an example. Let's say you walk down a long hallway, and at the end of that hallway is a door. There could be anything behind that door. You have no idea if it's unmarked and unlabeled if somebody told you to open that door and gave you no other information, you have no idea what you would find. However, if there was a label on that door that said men's restroom, then you have an expectation of what you will find. You don't expect to be able to eat off the floor or the counter surfaces in that room. You don't expect to open the door and find a garden or an apple tree. You don't expect to open the door and find a fluffy pink unicorn. You've got expectations because of that label. The point is, out of all the realm of possibilities of what might have been behind that door, the label narrowed what we expect and assume to be behind that label. 
just like our example of the two men with the same label, when a thing doesn't match our expectations and what we perceive the label to mean, sometimes we're confused, we're annoyed, we're upset, we're even angered. And there are times when we are pleasantly surprised that a label doesn't give the whole picture and there was something better behind it, but in most instances, that is the exception rather than the rule. That's how labels work in our own understanding. But God has a different idea because in the kingdom of God, things are upside down and backwards. So when God places a label, it does two things. It restricts and cuts away all of our definitions, but it opens up infinite possibilities for what he can do. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 10, and to really understand what's going on in this passage, you need to understand a little bit of background about the labels of that day. Jesus and his disciples are Jews, or Israelites, from the nation of Israel. The Israelites were God's people, not because they said so, but because God said, these are my people, I am placing my name on this group. Now, under the law, it was not lawful for a Jew to go into the house of a Gentile, nor was it lawful for Jews to associate in any way with a Gentile for long periods of time. And Gentile was a broad term that meant anyone that is not a Jew. If you were not a Jew, you were not born with the Jewish bloodline, you were a Gentile, whether you're American, Asian, whatever, you're, you're a Gentile. And so anyone not from Israel was considered unclean, not worthy, and less than. And I know it's a socially charged topic, but it really was racism on a global scale. Everyone not a Jew was completely unworthy of everything. This was not God's design, but it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees that had warped God's design to be this thing. And if you want to know more about how the Pharisees and Sadducees perspective and their perspective and interpretation of the law differed from God's, go read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and then go listen to Brother Chris's podcast from Sunday morning since June on the Beatitudes, and it'll break it down for you. We don't have time for that today because Sister Lacey had my notes for those of you that were here Friday, that was 10 pages of notes. Now it was printed out at 18 point font, so it'd be really big. I have 16 pages of notes today. So I'm just saying, I told you I had my notes. I'm not going to go through all of the Beatitudes today. But what I am going to do, and one reason that my notes are so long, is we're going to go through the entire chapter of Acts chapter 10. So it's only 48 verses, so it's not tremendously long but it tells a story and I want you to see the story in context so you understand how God changes labels and you may remain seated as I read this because I'm going to read the whole chapter and pause as I go through it but Acts chapter 10 starting in verse 1 it says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Now, he was a Gentile. He was a Roman soldier. A centurion was an officer in the Roman legion. So he was a commander of an entire 
legion, an entire band that was based out of Italy. It was the Italian band. Rome is in Italy, which means he was a high-ranking official. He wasn't just an under-general. He was one of the main guys. Verse 2, a devout man and one that feared God with all of his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He was a man that believed in God. He was a Gentile. He couldn't go to the temple, but there had been such an effect of the blessings of God on the nation of Israel that he said, that God is greater than all of these gods that we worship in the Roman Empire. God had already been working on his heart, and he was a Gentile. The Jews were happy to take his money, but they weren't, not, they weren't going to talk to him. Verse 3. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel coming in to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. Verse 4, and when he looked on him, he was afraid. Never seen an angel. Didn't even know that there were angels. But the angel said his name, and he was afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, the angel said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now, verse 5, send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, and he shall tell thee what thou ought to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, so also a soldier that believed with him, of them that waited on him continually, his servants. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. And on the morrow, the next day, as they went on their journey, talking about the apostles, they drew nigh unto the city, and Peter went upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now the men are already on their way to find him because God told Cornelius where he would be. He just got to town and he's at Simon Tanner's house but he just got there and the men are already on the way. Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Verse 10, and he became very hungry. I can identify. And he would have eaten, but while he made, they made ready in the house, he fell into a trance. Verse 11, and he saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. Now, these are all things that the Jews could not eat because the Lord had declared them unclean. If they had a cloven hoof, if they crawled on their belly, snakes, salamanders, those kinds of things, they could not eat those. Only certain things that they could eat. Verse 13, And there came a voice unto him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He's saying, I followed the law. I, I'm not going to do that. And the voice spake again to him a second time, What God hath cleansed, call thou not common. Call not thou common. This was done thrice. 
and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Verse 17 is where all of us would have been. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what the vision which he had just seen should mean, he was thinking, now where did that come from? I have no idea what that meant. I, I've had dreams like that. Where, where did that come from? This was how Peter felt. I, what did that mean? Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. They were there. And called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were, lo were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, so he's still on the rooftop thinking about what in the world does this mean, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Because sometimes God gives us a vision, and sometimes he's got to have instructions that go with it, because we're not quite all the way there, and that's okay. It's okay if God has to explain stuff to you, whether it's from another source, from his word, or he has to speak to you again, doesn't mean that, that anything's wrong with you. It happened to Peter. God gave him a vision. He had no clue what God was saying, and so God had to clarify. So, then, verse 21, Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I'm he whom you seek. What you want? What's the cause? Wherefore ye are come? Verse 22, And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and at this point, Peter's rolling his eyes because he's a Gentile. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. And of good report among all the nation of the Jews was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. If it had not been for God's message, doubt nothing, go with them, Peter would have said, nope, sorry boys, no can do. That's illegal. I'm not going anywhere with you nor am I going to a Gentile's house. But God had just spoke to him, doubt nothing. Verse 23, then he called them in, which was already illegal, and lodged them, and on the morrow, Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Now, we don't know if he told them to come, or if they come to say, we're going to keep an eye on you, because something's wrong in your mind somewhere. But regardless, Peter went, and some other Jews came with him. Verse 24, on the morrow after they entered into Caesarea and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends, not just his household, but all his friends and neighbors. Verse 25, as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter took him up saying, stand up. I myself also am a man. Like, don't worship me. I'm nothing. I, I'm, I maybe have been there with Jesus, but I am just a man. Don't, don't put that label on me. I'm not something to worship. Verse 27, as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Ye know that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation, but God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. All of a sudden the vision clicked, and he realized, oh, that's what you're saying. Therefore came I 
unto you without gainsaying as soon as I was sent for. I ask, therefore, for what intent ye have sent for me? Why did you call for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. He said, it's a good thing you showed up. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. And at that point, that's when we would be saying, oh God, help. They just said, whatever God tells you, tell us. And, and they're all looking at him. We call, God said, you're going to tell us something. So tell us. Help. That, and, and Peter opened his mouth, verse 34, and began to speak. And God began to fill his mouth with words. He said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him, God, and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. This is the first time this thought has ever passed through the brain of Peter. Verse 36, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism of which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they slew and hanged on a tree him God raised up the third day and showed him openly not to all people but unto witnesses chosen before of God even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead and he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And verse 44 is the bombshell into Jewish society. And while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. He never gave an altar call. He never gave an invitation. He was just telling them about Jesus. And the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, the Jews which were under the old covenant, which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles was also poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For when they heard them speak in, with tongues and magnify the Lord, then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. The Gentiles were labeled unclean. But God completely flipped the script 
on salvation. Up until this point, only the Jews had received the Holy Ghost. Nobody else. Nobody else had even been preached about salvation or forgiveness of sins or offered the opportunity. But then God said, I'm changing the label. You called it unclean and common, but I call it clean and I call it mine. So see, we are not the only ones who place labels. So does God. Because God ripped one label off and put his label on it and said, this is now mine and now the possibilities are unlimited. So, to illustrate the point, we are going to have an object lesson. I have worked long and hard with boxes and wrapping paper to prepare this object lesson. Thank you, gents. You put that one in the back. Bring me this one, put it right here in the middle. Now, if you say, well, that box looks like maybe for a hot water heater. Yep, sure is. Sure is. It's for a, a hot water heater. Good friend of mine, Brother Kevin, they, they put it in a house his crew was working on, and I just happened to ask him, do you have some boxes, some stuff that you, because I, I need some boxes for Sunday. And he said, I, I've actually got a couple at, at a house. You, they're, they're there. And I was asking him this on Tuesday, and they, I got them on Thursday, exactly what I needed, because, you know, whenever you need something and you pray about it, then God says, this is who you go and ask, just like there, the man Cornelius Ask God, you know, what am I supposed to do? And God told him, go and ask for Simon Peter. I needed boxes, and so I prayed. I said, God, you know, who do I need to go and get? God said, call Kevin. I called Kevin. He said, I got boxes. It's what God does if you'll let him. Brother Mason, if you would come up here and help me just a second. All I need you to do is just sit here and pull off this duct tape. You just sit right there. I just need you. I'm going to cut pieces off. I just need you to have me another piece ready. So this box is going to represent us. It's torn. It's got a big cut in it. It's upside down, which sometimes we feel like we are as well. It's got labels and pictures on it already. Tells you to use a forklift. To, to use a, a hand cart, it tells you not to get it up too high on the forklift because if you've never driven a forklift, you don't want to get up too high, otherwise the forklift falls over and then you got a mess. But it's already pre-labeled and damaged, which is how we many times come to God with labels already been placed on us by ourselves, by somebody else, and we're damaged goods. And so we come to God and maybe we're going to an AA meeting. Maybe we start coming to church. We're trying to, to do good. We're trying to do the best we can. And so we begin to put duct tape to hold this thing together because we want to not have all of our stuff and all of our issues hanging out in front of everybody. We, we want to seem like we have stuff together. 
We, we won't, even though we know everybody's got damage, everybody's got questions, everybody's, everybody's got issues, still, when we come to church or we come to the Lord, we don't want all of our stuff showing everywhere, and we don't want all of our issues leaking out all over everything. So we go to some classes, we get some advice from pastor, and we do all of the things that we know to do to try and put ourselves back together. And in the end, we may even accomplish getting a little more stability in our lives because there is no place like the presence of God and like being in church with God's people to help. Even if you're not doing anything else but showing up at the house of God, there is still benefit in being with God's people. And so it can lead you into stability and to some measure of peace and comfort. But there is only so much that man can do. And there is only so much stability that we can get for ourselves. That's all I'll need of those for right now. Just hang out there in case I need you in just a second. So this box now, I have repaired the tear in the box. It's fairly stable, but it's still got its own labels. And it's still got everything and all the baggage that it came with. But then at some point, we come to God and we say, God, I need you to do something with my life. I don't want to just be this. I want to surrender to you. And I want you to be able to, to do whatever you want in my life. And so God says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take some things that you already know about. And I'm going to use those things, but maybe not in the way that you know. This wrapping paper is going to represent what God does with us. This wrapping paper has snowflakes. It's got trees. It's got presents. It has hedgehogs with scarves and hats, which don't seem to go with anything, but they're there. And sometimes the things that God uses to help us are things that are already known, actions that we're already familiar with, but maybe they didn't come together all at the same time. People read books. They read Facebook posts all the time, and God says, now try reading the Word of God. People go without meals, whether for a medical fast, because you've got to have a test done in the morning, or maybe you've gotten on a diet that says intermittent fasting, and that's familiar with people. And God says, but I want you to fast and give up stuff for me and pray while you do it. And we talk to other people. We have communication, and God says, but now I want you to communicate with me. And so he takes things that are familiar, trees and presents and hedgehogs with scarves and hats, and uses them in a way that we didn't think would make that much of a difference. And then he begins to do something with us. And so he takes the common and he begins to unroll it. And he says, now, I'm going to show you just what I can do. And he takes us 
and he knocks us over. Because many times whenever God begins to work on us, it's not the skies parting and everything is great and wonderful. Sometimes whenever God begins to work on you, it doesn't feel good. Because the Bible talks about gold purified in a fire, tried seven times, means it heated up to the point that it melted and they scraped the impurities off and let it cool down and oh, now everything's over and then they did it again and heated it up to the point that it melted. So, God says, yeah, I'm going to do some melting on you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you just what it's like whenever I get a hold of you and whenever I begin to work on you. And so there's some melting that goes on. There's some prayer that begins to happen. Can you help me? Just pull that out and straighten it out. And so these labels that we have and the things that we came to God with, all of a sudden, they begin to be covered up by prayer and by fasting and by reading of the Word of God, by people speaking into our lives and saying, you know what, I think that, that if you would do this, uh, if you would read this book, this book has really helped me. You, if you would listen to this podcast that, of this message, it really helped me. And we begin to get strength and we begin to get peace and God begins to take our labels and he begins to cover them up. And the things that the world used to say about us, loser, drunk, drug addict, absent father, absent mother, all of a sudden those things are covered up because God says, I'm building stuff into you. I'm repurposing you for what I want to do. But you see, it's not easy going through the process of letting God do this because right now I'm starting to sweat. Because work takes time. And it makes the sermon a little long. But there's nothing that God does in you that is usually a quick thing because as Brother Tenney famously said, we live in a microwave society and we've got a crockpot God. And so we begin to have all of those labels covered up. And now on this box, you can no longer see the labels about the handcart or the forklift. And in fact, a lot of the, the tear and the cut is completely gone away because it's been covered up with God's holiness and God's righteousness and it's a clean slate and God says okay now I can start working with you I can start I can start doing some things for you I can start showing people this is what God can do but it doesn't start with just one time I'm going to do another piece of paper. And God knocks us down again. Because there's still work to be done. 
Thank you, sir. And the labels begin to completely go away. And the labeling that the world used and the labeling that even we ourselves used about ourselves becomes less and less important in the face of the holiness and righteousness of God. And you can say, well, Brother Keith, that's, that sounds really good, but that holiness and righteousness of God, uh, I just, I'm not holy, I'm not righteous, and you know what? You're absolutely right. You're not. Neither am I. And as sacrilegious as it may seem to you, neither was Brother Briggs. And neither is Sister Briggs. Neither is Brother Bruce. Neither is Sister Donna. Because our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's only whenever His righteousness begins to cover us, that's when we are righteous. But we have to let him do it. I'm almost done. <laughs> now, this is where it gets really interesting. Because once we submit ourselves fully to the cause of Christ and to what he wants to do in us, then... Once we've let him do all of this, then we become a clean slate and he can begin to write labels. But you may say, Keith, that's nice imagery, but do you have scripture to go along with that? Sure, let's prove all things, shall we? Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. Revelation 7 and 9, after this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb and clothed in white robes and palms in their hands. And then skip down to verses 13 and 14. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence or where came they? And I said unto him, Sir, you know. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So then we become something, a clean slate for God to write on us. And what does he say about us? John chapter 15 and verse 3. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Acts chapter 26 and verse 18. To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive 
forgiveness of sins and I'm forgiven and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith Romans chapter 5 and verse 19 for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners so by the obedience of one Jesus Christ shall many be made righteous First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, that you should show the forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And I am now called. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I am loved. Sister Michael, did I give you one more verse in Matthew? I can't remember if I put it on there. Matthew chapter 13, 45. It didn't show up on my iPad notes. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, gave his only begotten son, and bought it. And God calls us priceless. That's what he says about me in spite of all the labels that I had whenever I come to him and he begins to put his grace and mercy over me then he says these about us God places the labels on us he determines what their possibilities are but it's our responsibility to maintain them and sometimes that gets hard life is not always easy the enemy has had several thousand years to watch and study us, and he was cunning to begin with. So temptation is not always going to be to get you to do something that is overtly wrong, but many times temptation comes in other forms. And sometimes the enemy wants to alter these labels that God has placed on us. So sometimes the enemy says, well, you know, that stuff he used, that prayer and that fasting and all that, there was some red in there, there was some black in there. Look, this is a much simpler pattern. Still got red, still got black, it's got squares, it's got lines. It's much easier to work with. It's not nearly as complicated. If you'll just, just, just not try quite so hard. Maybe all that prayer and all that fasting, it's just... It is, it's so hard. And, and look, get another piece of duct tape. I said, look, let, let's, let's do this, man. It, it's it's going to be so hard for you to maintain all that because, you know, yeah, yeah, God gave you those labels. And, dude, those are awesome. Those labels are, are just phenomenal. Love your labels. They're, they're great. But you know what? Let, let's try something that's a little bit easier. Just tear me off. One more after that. And what we're going to do is we're still going to give you 
this clean slate that God can write on. But you know what? It's not going to be nearly so hard. And look, look, it's still white. It still looks just like what you had before. It's still a clean slate that God can write on, but you're not having to pray like every day, and you're not having to fast all the time. And, you know, look, I understand sometimes there's that, that series on Netflix, and it just, you know, it's, it's really good, and everybody's talking about it. And so, yeah, maybe, maybe Brother Bruce wouldn't watch that, but, but you know, it, it's, it's fun, so... Why don't, you, why don't you just go ahead and watch it, and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, you know, be, it's not that bad. It, it, it's okay. And the enemy, instead of having to get you to do something that's overtly bad, gets you to be okay with good enough. And maybe you go on a little longer and he gets you to, you know, you're, you're still a Christian, you still love God, but man, I am not crazy. Some of those Christians, they just go way out and they, they are crazy. I'm not crazy. Y'all don't have, y'all don't have to be, be afraid of me. And, and you know, I still believe, but... Maybe I don't do it that hard or, or that intense because, you know, I can, I can do this my own way. And all of a sudden, whenever people look at us, they don't see clean. They don't see loved. They don't see the grace of God. They see not crazy, good enough. I look just like everybody else. I'm not called out. People can't look at me anymore and know immediately by seeing me that I'm Pentecostal or that I'm Christian. My attitude and my actions don't reflect the things that, that God put into me. And so then I look at myself and I look at the difference between what I used to be and what I am now. And I begin to put more labels like... I feel dirty and, and I feel unclean and sometimes I just I look in the mirror and I'm not as close to God as I used to be and I feel hopeless and if I let it go long enough and I end up feeling lost and I begin to put labels on me on top of the labels that the enemy has put on me that were never intended to be there. But 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18 says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you and will be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. 1 Peter 1 and 16 says, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 
come out and be are things we do. They are actions that we take to apply the labels that God uses to us. And 1 Peter 1 and 16 is an echo of Leviticus 11 and 44 from the Old Testament where God says, For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify, ye shall sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourself with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. So whenever I'm here, or whenever I'm just the box, how do I sanctify myself? I start right here by refusing this garbage altogether and refuse the enemy's labels. The enemy has tried to put a label that limits my possibilities. I could be anything in God, but good enough limits my possibilities. And so I refuse to believe what the enemy says about me. I am who God says that I am. So what I do is I begin to hit my knees in prayer and say, God, this is not me. I've let myself become this, but this is not me. And in the name of Jesus, I'm taking this one off. And I'm taking that one off. And I'm taking this dirty and good enough off. Because I am clean, and I am loved, and I am forgiven. And I am priceless. And you want a label? I'll give you a label, devil. We're going to label all of this return to cinder. And you can keep your labels. And you can keep your good enough. Because I choose to sanctify myself with God. I am who God says I am. I am clean and I am forgiven and I am righteous and I am called and I am loved. Not by anything that I have done but by everything that He has done for me and in me. So this morning if you would stand with me. If you're in this place and anything that is up here on this box is not what you feel like right now these altars are open because at any point in time it is just up to you and me to say I want to come back to here I want to be this again I want to throw away that garbage that the enemy has tricked me into and that I've placed on myself and I want to lay some things down so that I can be what God has called me to be the rest of this service is between you and God. Whatever you need to throw in the trash, these altars are open or your pews are open, you can do it right there. You can come up here, whatever you want to do. To all of our visitors, thank you for being with us. I'm sorry that I went so long, but God is calling out to somebody to take some things and throw them to the side so that his labels can be what the world sees when they look at you. This morning, God is calling for more than just those that feel like that they're all the way gone. God is calling for people who don't pray as much as they used to, who don't fast as much as they used to. 
God's calling us to consecration because the harvest is bigger than what we can do on our own. Do you realize there are only 40,000 some odd Pentecostals in Louisiana? 40,000. There are approximately 2.2 billion Christians worldwide and 8 billion people on the face of this planet. Do you realize how long it would take to be able to minister to 8 billion people with just 40,000 of us? It would take us approximately 145,000 years with 40,000 people to reach the remainder of this world. There's not enough of us to be able to do the work in the little time the world has left, which means all hands must be on deck. Because with one reaches one, then there are two. And if each of those two reach one, then there are four, and then eight, and then 16, and then 32, and God can multiply. But God is calling us to consecration. God is calling us to lay down things so that He can speak to us. So this morning, I invite everyone that will, before you leave here, don't just, oh, that was a good sermon. Oh, that was a good song. Spend some time on your face before God and say, God, what are you requiring of me? What can I tear off and what can I lay down so that you can use me how you want to use me?